about the future. Welcome to Future of Marketing, presented by Tint, the world's most powerful user-generated content platform. Each week, we interview leading marketers to uncover their routines, strategies, and perspectives. With the latest in marketing, here's our host, Yvonne Aldaz. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Future Marketing. We have a very special guest, Jason Bradwell. I've actually been following him on Twitter for quite a few years now, maybe since the pandemic started, I think. And something about him is that he writes a newsletter called B2B Byte, and he hosts a podcast called B2B Better. So we have a lot in common. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Jason, it's so good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great, Yvonne. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, you've, you were one of my very first guests on the podcast, B2B Better. And yeah, it was years ago, if you can believe it, near the start of the pandemic. But I'm just really excited to be talking to you again and uh, diving a little bit into, into marketing stuff. I agree. I am really excited to be talking to you. And not just that, but because we have so much in common, I just, I, I really want to learn from you today. So first things first, you've been in marketing for how long exactly? So I've been in marketing in one form or another for the last 10 or 11 years, very much fell into the career by accident. I went to uni and I studied drama with every intention of going on and working in the arts. Within about three weeks of me graduating, I realized it probably wasn't the life for me. I just didn't have the, uh, the kind of strength, I guess, to you know be sleeping on kind of friends' sofas and eating instant ramen for too long. Um, so I ended up getting a sales job. And uh, from there, started writing for their blog, took on a PR role, became a marketing manager, marketing director, and as you say, now also run my uh, podcast and the newsletter on the side. Wow. Okay. I don't know if anyone else relates, any other marketers listening to this relates. I feel like a lot of marketers fall into marketing by accident, myself included. But it, it is so interesting to watch how you can just pull all these little areas of creativity to turn it into this career. You probably had no idea you were going to have. What does it look like to be a newsletter writer, a podcast host? And I can talk about this myself, but let's hear from you. What does it look like? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it, you know, it all really started because at the beginning of the pandemic, like many people, I was stuck at home and missing a little bit of that kind of community I was getting in my day job as a enterprise B2B um, marketing director and just thought, you know what, I want to get more active on social media and try and find that community I'm missing in the real world online. Started having some amazing conversations with other experts across the world and thought, you know what, I should just hit record on these and publish it as a podcast. And I think that is the origin story of a lot of podcasts, particularly ones born out of the, out of the pandemic. Um, I still am a full-time marketing director in-house at a B2B tech company. Um, so that takes up my nine till five. And then in the evenings and the weekends, uh, you know, when I'm not looking after my daughter or spending time with my wife, I'm continuing to dive headfirst into modern day B2B marketing strategies and, and creating all this content. As you know, better than anyone, it's tough sometimes to kind of keep up that cadence and mm -hmm. make sure that you're still delivering quality and not fall into the trap of just getting stuff out there without really thinking what value it's going to provide. But I haven't cracked the formula yet. Uh, but you know, every week that goes by, I learn something new and I would encourage anyone who 
wants to kind of accelerate their career and accelerate their, their the rate of their learning to start something up like this on the side, because, you know, this has been one of the single most greatest learning experiences of my life over the last two, half, two and a half years. No, I totally agree. And I like that you said, I haven't cracked that code because I feel the exact same. And that's what marketing is about. It's about experimenting, testing until you'll find what does work and then just doing it all over again. What would you say is your biggest challenge right now when it comes to podcasting? Probably the biggest challenge is distribution, you know, and, and I think um, I'm very aware of the fact that I spend a lot of time on the kind of creation side of things and not nearly enough time on the distribution side of things, which is really doing myself and my guests a disservice, right? Because we're all collectively spending time on producing these materials and not as many people as should be seeing them are seeing them. And that's something I'm trying to get better at. And by distribution, I mean like, you know, how am I reformatting and repackaging this kind of audio asset and video asset for all of the channels that I'm currently operating on in a way that makes sense natively for that platform. And really, you know, it boils down to just bandwidth. As I said, I've got a full-time job. I've got a young daughter. I've got a, a family. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing the newsletter. And I just find myself at the end of the week with not enough time to kind of do that, that repackaging piece to the fullest extent it should be done. But that's something I'm trying to get better at. And, you know, one of the learnings I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming around to is you can't do it all on your own. Like if you want to do it right, you need to look at tools or people that can that can help you pull it off um so yeah that's probably the biggest challenge i've got right now i love you for saying that because i totally really really distribution is easier said than done and and that is also a challenge for me and i think it is a challenge for a lot of other marketers out there not just podcasters i'm talking about people who are writing blogs people who are creating white papers whatever it is the distribution piece is a whole other monster that we have to tackle. And, and I love that you said that you have to realize that you cannot do everything on your own. You really can't. And it's okay. Learn how to outsource that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, so you can't do it all on your own, nor should you expect yourself to do it all on your own. And I think it is a way to feel quite demoralized, I think, if you kind of go into content creation with the expectation that you will be able to to do it solo in perpetuity, right? In forever. Like as you grow and you increase the number of channels you want to be active on, you increase the amount of content types you want to put out there. You increase the frequency. You want to increase the frequency of content that you're publishing. Something at some point has to give. And, you know, I'm kind of coming around to the realization where doing it all on my own, the newsletter and the podcast and the day job and the family is just not sustainable. So maybe I need to start dialing back on something, family, can't be one of those clearly, um, <laughs> to refocus on the things that a, I kind of really, really enjoy and B, I think offer me the most value. And right now that's the podcast, right? Like I really enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy speaking to people, you know, gaining more insights that way. The newsletter is a great way for me to almost take what's in my mind and put it down on the paper and, and share that with people, but it's a big drain on my time. So right now I'm kind of considering, okay, how do I double down on the podcast, better reuse that content for the newsletter. And then in the future, when I can kind of onboard a team or onboard some resources, come back to the newsletter B2B Byte 
at the cadence that I've been getting it out over the last two and a half years. And mm-hmm. I'm fine with that, right? Like I've come, I've come to the realization that I'm fine with that because, you know, if I keep going at the pace that I'm going now, I'm sure a lot of content creators feel the same way. You're just going to burn out and then you're not doing anyone any favors. Yep. I love your newsletter, by the way. And anyone listening to this, I highly recommend you subscribe. Follow him on Twitter too. He's probably one of my favorite tweeters. Um, I noticed some of your newsletters, you'll promote just the podcast. Is that why you started doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I've spent a lot of time and energy trying to build up a database over the Mm -hmm. last two and a half years. And it's currently netting out around 2,000 B2B marketers and B2B professionals that I can reach out to directly. And I take that as like a great responsibility because these are people who have entrusted me with their contact information in exchange for value. And I want to make sure that I can continue to deliver them value on a consistent basis and help them do their jobs better, do B2B marketing better. But as I say, as a solo creator, my time is limited. And in the interest of kind of keeping up some degree of cadence, uh, instead of looking at the newsletter as a kind of unique channel in which I need to create, you know, specific content for, um, unique content for, I can just take all of that amazing value that I'm creating in partnership with other creators and marketing experts on the podcast side of things and just make sure that the people, the 2000 people in my database are seeing that too. So yeah, to answer your question is a long way to say it. Um, yeah, basically. Awesome. No, and I, and I ask because you, and I've told you this before that you have definitely inspired a lot of my work. So thank you. Where do you tend to get your insights and your news from? We've said it a couple of times already. I mean, I spend an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter. I'm a little bit scared to open up that setting in my iPhone that tells you how much time you're spending on each of the individual apps because Mm -hmm. I feel like the Twitter bar would like almost like fly out of my phone. Um, And I think in terms of kind of getting real-time information to industry trends and developments, there is no better place than Twitter. There is a fantastic marketing community over there. It does have some drawbacks and I have noticed, and I'm sure you have too over the last year or so, some exaggerated drama (laughs) (laughs) within the community, which I feel like is unneeded and unwarranted. But generally speaking, there is an amazing set of people active over there, marketers active over there, um, who are, you know, just giving away amazing information and insight and breakdowns around what is happening in the world of marketing. And if you're starting out, I think, trying to get up to speed with what's happening in the B2B space, the B2C space, the D2C space, Twitter is an excellent place to go. I totally agree. I love Twitter and I would be so afraid to see how much time I spent on it too. So I'm just going to leave that unchecked, just like you. Sensible. (laughs) So what's something interesting or surprising that you've learned over the last couple of months? So you mentioned I run this podcast, B2B Better. And at the end of every episode, I, uh, I ask my guests, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in terms of how B2B companies market themselves over the next three to five years? And I've done that every interview, um, 50 or so interviews now. And I realized the other day, I've never actually gone away and looked at those answers holistically and see if there's any patterns or trends that that are emerging because i'm talking to everybody i'm talking to content marketers community managers product marketers pr communication professionals 
all sorts of different levels of seniority from, you know, people on the front line executing on the work all the way up to, you know, your CMO level um, uh, strategic thinkers. And I just did a very quick bit of napkin math across the episodes. And what I realized was that, you know, 50 to 60% or more of the people who have answered this question have said something along the lines around employee advocacy or social selling or brands basically equipping their teams with the tools to go out there and position themselves as, as thought leaders. Um, and that was, you know, you kind of intuitively, I've, I've always kind of intuitively felt that that is where we are going in the B2B space, um, but I'd never kind of seen it in black and white across a data set that I had, you know, pulled together myself. Um, so for me, that was just perhaps not surprising, but a great point of validation that, you know, what where, where I think the space is going, where I think the opportunity lies is felt uh, by a lot of my peers and contemporaries. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. And I, th- I, mean, I might have even said that in, in our interview too. Employee advocacy is the future or part of it. So back to the topic on Twitter for a second. What is something that you feel people in the social media or the marketing space in general need to stop doing? Well, working in the B2B space, particularly the enterprise B2B space, I am still shocked to see so many brands out there investing five, six, seven figures on trade shows. I just don't get it. I just don't get it in 2022. It used to be the right playbook when the internet didn't exist. And the only way really to get in front of your target buyers was to physically go and meet them. And the best way to do that was at one place where you knew a lot of them were going to be in the same room with one another. So you would try and get a big booth, a lot of visibility at a trade show. With the internet, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like that five, six, seven figure spend would be far better utilized, in my opinion, on digital, social, community, employee advocacy, social selling channels in terms of actually delivering on, you know, revenue results, growing pipeline and things of that nature, than taking a big space at an event where you're not really in control of the experience or the output or you have less control over getting as big a return of investment as you possibly can. Um, there are some cases where it makes sense. I think if you're breaking into a new vertical, new industry where you have no brand visibility and there is like a cornerstone event that everyone goes to, then maybe there, yeah, it, it makes sense. But if you've been going to the same event three, five years and you're still getting a huge booth that's costing you an absolute arm and a leg and people still don't really know about you, you've got bigger problems on your hands, to be honest. You said that you cannot control the experience. Never thought about it that way. On this topic, is there something that you feel the marketers should start doing? And it doesn't have to be just necessarily like invest more in like social and everything, just in general, like what do you think marketers need to start doing more of? I think again, coming at this from the B2B side of things, there is a shocking amount of customer research not being done, particularly in the enterprise B2B side of things or in the enterprise B2B space, you see companies all the time running programs, marketing programs that are based on nothing other than really intuition and instinct and gut feel and possibly something that the sales team has told us um, that ultimately pivots and directs our entire strategy. But it's just missing that core piece. And it's really, it's really one-on-one and you feel a bit kind of embarrassed to say it, but 
you know, if you're not actually going out there and talking to your customers as a B2B marketer and figuring out, you know, what are their specific problems, where are they spending their time online and in person, how do they actually want to evaluate and buy products from their vendors, then your strategy is broken before it even starts. If you're not doing that, if you're a marketer and you're reliant on getting information directly from customers through a third party, be that your salespeople, your account manager, you know, just kind of scraping what you can from, from the internet, you're not having those direct conversations, you need to find a way to fix that because you'll never be able to achieve the best results and, unless you've got that core piece of information. Yeah, I totally. Your customers hold the key and they are giving you the answers. So why not talk to them? You're so right. Just listen. Absolutely. And look, just to be clear, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be talking to your sales team and your customer service team to try and figure out what insights they can give you to help you define a marketing strategy because it is important. I'm just saying that I see it time and time again, marketers kind of left on the sidelines not allowed to jump onto the field and actually talk to prospects and talk to real life customers and just try and piece together a puzzle of information that's coming from secondary sources. And that's a really hard job you're giving yourself there in terms of maximizing your efforts. Um, and, you know, kind of going to, to the channels that are available to us, there is nothing stopping marketers out there connecting with their target customers or their existing customers on social media, sending out a connection request and trying to develop a personal relationship that way. There's nothing stopping them following their customers on social or engaging with them in online communities and asking them questions in those platforms or replying to their posts and trying to develop a relationship that way. It's almost like you need to give yourself permission to go out there and get this research rather than waiting for someone to basically tell you, oh, now's the right time for you to reach out to them because the project's not on fire. Oh yeah. And sometimes your customers will already be talking about your brand online. And this is going to cue us into our next question, which is why do you think user-generated content, employee-generated content are so valuable for brands? Why is this new era of influence so important? For me, it kind of breaks down into two buckets. So the first one is you can look at your users, customers, and employees as an extension of your marketing team. My experience is predominantly working in organizations with, you know, either no or the very beginnings of a marketing function, which means that there really hasn't been or isn't a team in place. There isn't a huge amount of budget or resource to play around with you are really kind of bootstrapping your marketing strategy and trying to deliver on results that will give you that business case to go to the executive team and say, we've started the fire, we really need some gasoline. And when you're in those kind of contexts, you should be leveraging any and every piece of help you can in order to get the word out there and scale your visibility. And employees and users and clients are a great way of doing that. If you're in a company of 500 people and you're the solo marketer, you've got 499 people within your organization who could be posting on your behalf basically and growing your brand in your sector, in your space. So that's the first thing. It's really kind of like a scalability of your marketing efforts. The second, and I'm sure your guests have talked about this many, many times before in the past, 
but it's an authenticity piece. And particularly in B2B, there is a lot on the line for buyers when it comes to making a decision that could ultimately affect their livelihood. You know, if I buy a pair of jeans and I don't like them, I return them to the store, no harm, no foul. If I'm buying a piece of million dollar enterprise software that is ultimately going to be used by a thousand people within my organization and I get it wrong, then I may not have a job next quarter. So as a B2B marketer, you've really got to take that extra effort to give your buyers confidence that you are the right vendor or company to help them solve their particular problem. And employee and user-generated content is a phenomenal way of doing that. I saw a stat the other day which said that 76% of individuals are more likely to trust content or B2B individuals are more likely to trust content that is shared by an actual person versus a brand. And intuitively, that feels right to me, as I'm sure it does to you. So yeah, authenticity, that, that's the name of the game. Thanks. I love those responses. And yeah, the authenticity piece is universal. I feel everyone agrees with that. And it is refreshing. It breaks away from the branded content, the brand saying this and that we're great versus a customer or an employee saying, I love working here, or I love this product or this brand. You get a very different vibe, really. <laughs> yeah. I love that word. So what do you think and, and this goes back to, I know we talked about distribution, how distribution is a big problem for marketers. What else do you feel most marketers tend to struggle with? In B2B, I think a lot of marketers struggle in justifying their existence within the organization, particularly organizations, I'll be very broad strokes here, like non-SaaS organizations. So companies that aren't selling software or have been born in the digital internet era. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies out there that have been operating for many, many years, quite successfully, I might add, with a predominantly sales-led commercial strategy, new business strategy. That is to say, they have sales teams that are out there going to these big events, hitting the cold calls, hitting the cold emails, and just trying to make sure they're in front of the buyers at the right time. The, and in those, kind of, in those kind of contexts, marketing is really relegated to the department that just makes things look pretty, right? Or sends out the odd press release or you know, just make sure the website's up and running. But it's really not seen as a, it's seen as a cost center. It's not seen as a revenue driver for the organization. But the world is changing. B2B buyers are changing. The way that they evaluate and select products is changing. And it is changing in a way that better favors the work of marketing teams. By that, what I mean is, you know, B2B buyers are on social media, they're in communities, they're attending virtual events, they're speaking to colleagues and peers that maybe they've never met in person before in their lives, but you know, asking them questions because they have the means to ask them questions about who they should be working with across all of these kind of dark social channels. And a lot of B2B organizations just aren't thinking about how do we play in that space. So I think as marketers, we need to, we need to find ways to kind of convince our leadership teams that there is a new status quo. And we need to be adapting to it. Otherwise, we're going to get left behind. And I think that's where a lot of marketers struggle. 
I appreciate that you brought up dark social. I don't know if you follow Chris Walker. Um, I, I do follow Chris Walker. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he's called the godfather of, of demand gen for a reason. He's been, him. yeah, he's been talking about it for a long, long time. And, you know, he has a great way of communicating concepts that when you hear them, you're like, of course, this is just obvious. Like I get it intuitively. This makes complete sense to me. Uh, but the reality is, and he talks about this, is the vast majority of organizations just aren't, aren't following them. I'm not sure he coined the term dark social. I could be wrong there. I don't think he coined it, but he's definitely been a massive proponent of it. And I mean, the results speak for themselves in terms of how quickly his agency has grown over the last three years. Oh yeah. He just does a beautiful job at articulating the obvious things we already know. And it's like, oh my God, you're so right. It's right in my face the entire time. So I love his content. And I know earlier we were talking about what the future looks like, but what does the future marketing look like to you specifically? Where do you think we're heading? I think, again, looking at this through a B2B lens, I think you know what the future will hold is there will be two buckets of companies. There will be the companies who continue to run the same playbooks, outdated playbooks, new business, go-to-market commercial strategy playbooks they've been running for many years. And they will continue to see results, right? Because it's like brute force strategy. If you throw enough sales reps out there and they're hitting the phones enough, you're going to eventually hit gold and you're going to be able to win some business. And they'll keep getting those results, but I believe they will be diminishing results over periods of time. And depending on your organization type, it'll either be a short period of time or a long period of time. Then there will be a second bucket of B2B organizations who do lean into this idea around demand creation, demand generation, who do lean into the concept of dark social, dark funnel, and optimizing their strategy to meet the new status quo. B2B organizations who say, you know what? We need to rid ourselves of this idea that marketing is there to you know, make things look pretty. And it's just like a checklist function, like a checkbox function in the organization. And it's actually, there is an opportunity for us to position this function to drive business, drive new business, drive revenue, drive pipeline, drive profits. And if you and I speak again in 10 years time on this podcast, which I hope we do, I think we'll have witnessed at that point, a kind of a shift, a tipping point where that latter group, the ones who are investing in this new way of working regards, regarding B2B marketing outweigh the ones who are continuing to run the same outdated playbooks. Ooh, I love that. And I can't wait. I'm, now you're making me look forward to the next 10 years because I think it'd be really cool to talk to you again in 10 years and see where we're at. I'd love that. <laughs> so what is a book, podcast, person, or event that helps shape your career? What was mm. the turning point for you? You know, it's difficult for me to pinpoint a specific book or podcast or piece of content that made an immediate and monumental kind of impact on my career. I feel like, you know, coming into this world by chance at random as a result of not being able to make it as an artist, I've kind of had to like learn things as I've gone along. I would say the person that's really helped shape my career, and it's going to sound a bit like cringy maybe, but really my wife, she's been a huge source of support as I've tried to build a career in something I knew nothing about. 
And I think you need someone like that in your life. You need someone who's in your corner, who's pushing you to take risks and believe that you are good enough and who can just help you see the wood from the trees, as we like to say. So yeah, I'd say if I had to pinpoint one thing that's really helped shape my career, it'd probably be her. Well, they do say that choosing your significant other, your partner is probably the best investment that you can make. So I 100% agree with that statement. I love that response. That was great. Where do you tend to look for inspiration? Well, Twitter, as we've already talked about, but you know, one thing I've started doing recently is there are a couple of cool individuals that you follow on like social media, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You think, you know what? They're always hitting home runs, seemingly. Like Chris Walker is a great example of that. I don't think he publishes a piece of content I haven't read enough thought. That's given me something to think about. And I think he may be onto something there. April Dunford's another person. Um, and I'm really into my podcasts, but historically, I've always just kind of let myself, my podcast consumption be led by the most up-to-date or the most recent episodes that are being published, you know, on my Spotify app, hitting new episodes and just listening to them in order. What I've started doing recently is I've been searching for those individuals I admire in the Spotify app and listening to their kind of like back catalog of content in like big batches. So I listen to like a dozen or so April Dunford podcasts in succession. And that's really helped me you kind of understand that you understand April's concepts at a high level, but when you really just immerse yourself for that concentrated piece of time um, in consuming all this kind of back catalog of content, it really helps kind of solidify those ideas in your mind. So yeah, that's where I'm finding inspiration at the moment. That is such an interesting response. I'm going to have to listen back. So I have three more questions for you. So buckle up. Oh God. First one is, what advice do you have for marketers and creatives who look up to you? Well, the first thing is I would question why you're looking up to me in the first place, but <laughs> putting that to one side, I would say, this sounds like a Hallmark card, but like life is short. And, you know, the, the amount of time you spend at work in any given week, month, year, or whatever is significant. And again, as a B2B marketer, we are seeing a shift in terms of how buyers buy new products. And it requires a new go-to-market commercial strategy. And if you believe that to be true and you are communicating that to your business and you are not seeing any response, positive response, then you should move on if you can move on. I appreciate that. That's a privileged thing to say because not everyone can move on. But if you can, make it so because you could find yourself wasting many years of your life in a situation that makes you unhappy or it leaves you feeling unfulfilled or doesn't contribute to your ongoing development. And you can't get that time back. I've got a friend, you know, I worked at, I worked at a company for a few years. Um, it wasn't a great environment. Me and a friend who worked there together, we'd always complain about it. I moved on to a new role. They're still there. This is like 10 years later and it's the same it's the same stuff. Whenever I see this person where they're complaining about the same stuff and I will, I'm a good friend. I will lend an ear for as long as they need me to lend an ear. I'll be a shoulder to cry on, no problem. But you can't help wanting to say to them, change something like, cause this isn't working for you and you're upset, you're unfulfilled, you're not going anywhere. If you can, you should change something. So yeah, my advice would be just um, not to waste time basically. Yeah. No, a couple people similar, you know, that you just want to shake them and tell them, please just 
take the leap, believe in yourself, you can do it. And grass is greener. <laughs> yeah. That believe in yourself is really important as well. Right. And I suffer as much imposter syndrome as the best of them. Um, but you know, you are good enough to, you to and, enough. and you are good enough. And it is not normal to be in an environment where you finish the workday feeling just 100% depleted five days a week, 52 weeks a year, and you feel under, underappreciated. That is not the norm. The grass is greener uh, on the other side. We should make t-shirts. How do you wind down from a long day of work? I could say something like I hang out with my daughter and we play dress up and I, you know, hide and seek and things of that nature. And we do do that, but it's kind of like interspersed with trying to get her to eat dinner and trying to get her to have a bath. And any parents listening to this will understand that that's frustrating. Um, my favorite way to unwind is I've got the house to myself. I pour myself a glass of whiskey and I watch This Is 40, the movie with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. I don't know why like that particular movie, but I don't think I've ever watched it and like not laughed at something new. Um, and, you know, my wife has come home on a number of occasions. And I'm just kind of sat there a little bit spaced out on the sofa in my third <laughs> glass of whiskey watching This Is a, This Is 40. And she's like, why this movie? And I'm like, I don't know. I just really like Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. I just think they're a cool comedy duo. <laughs> it just does it for me. That is such a good movie. I and There is no judgment. I just saw it recently again. And it's just so relatable. It's amazing. I love that you love that movie. Okay. So the last and final question for you, what are you excited about or looking forward to? I'm very fortunate that the better half of my family, my wife's family are French and they live in France. And we are imminently about to go out and spend a month with them for the summer uh, at their house. And that's great for a number of reasons. One, it will be in nice French sunshine and I'll be able to drink a lot of wine and eat a lot of pastry. And two, they'll look after my daughter a lot, which means that I can actually get some rest and, and relaxation, like true rest and relaxation. And just reset over the summer to kind of tackle whatever comes in kind of end of Q3 and Q4 with gusto, because like many, I'm starting to hit that kind of mid-year blues. I'm just really looking forward to getting a break. That sounds amazing. Are you guys looking into maybe adopting me? Do would you like? Would you like to consider that? This sure, yeah, yeah. If you can get over to the UK, then we can. There's a space in the car for you. I like how you said sure. Don't, <laughs> don't tempt me. <laughs> anyway, okay. So that concludes our episode for today, Jason. As always, it was absolutely amazing talking to you, seeing you again. Um, I hope we get to do this again, and I'm pretty sure we will. So. Again, thank you so much. Yvonne, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Future of Marketing. Future of Marketing is a companion podcast to the acclaimed Future of Marketing newsletter. More than 20,000 marketing leaders find resources, strategies, and analysis in this free weekly blast. Sign up today at futureofmarketing.tintup.com. Your likes, reviews, and shares help us grow. Please rate us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, keep your eyes on the future of marketing.